You're listening to The People's Pitch, the official podcast of Minneapolis City Soccer Club, brought to you by footballstadiumprints.com. Let's start the show. And as I talked about just a couple minutes ago, as Joe Watt stands over this one, he appears to be the one taking the penalty here. Uh, this is a huge confidence booster if you're a Duluth. Worst case Elder scenario for here City for right more. here. And it's stopped! Yes! And it's stopped! Totally Matt redeems Elder. himself. <laughs> Matt Elder redeeming himself. Oliver with the right foot. The shot is oh, Oliver! Justin Oliver will break the scoreless tie. Then it is 1-0 Minneapolis City. It's Hutton now on the offense with the left foot. And Oliver, the goal! goal! And it is now 2-0 Minneapolis oh, yes. City. Good finish. Nick Hutton taking his quick victory lap. Happy holidays, soccer fans. This is the People's Pitch, the officialist and merriest podcast of your Minneapolis City SC. As always, I'm your host, Nate. And joining me, of course, is the dasher to my dancer, the man with the (laughs) deepest soccer Rolodex in the upper Midwest, John Bizworm. John, are we celebrating tonight or what? Uh, I actually celebrated last night. Um, (laughs) So I, I'm, I'm back home in Wisconsin. I ended up uh, hooking up with an old uh, teammate from the Bavarian club. And we were, uh, we went to a, a dive bar uh, that's close to both of our in-laws. And, uh, and we did, we were, we were drinking beers and following the MLS draft and doing a shot every time someone from one of our organizations got drafted. So I have a re- pretty bad headache this morning there, Nate. <laughs> hey man, that's all right. Sounds like a good way to spend the night. Uh, it was pretty nice. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. It was nice. It was fun. It was really fun. People looking at us like, who are these two crazy guys? We're like going nuts, sta- staring at a phone, ordering <laughs> shots of Blackberry brand. Yes. The, Just all those guys. The Polish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Well, tonight's show is the Happy Holidays show because there are just so damn many reasons to be happy in our corner of the soccer universe, John. Mm -hmm. First off, the weird World Cup brought us one of the greatest games of all time. You got to be happy for Messi. Next, we're going to talk about last night's MLS Super Draft that made three crows very happy. And finally, we're going to talk about the next generation or at least the search for them. We got the futures trials coming up, sure to make 100 young guys quite happy. So let's get let's do this. <laughs> there's, a, there's a joke in there somewhere. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, let's go, man. So World Cup stuff. The the cup has come and gone since we last spoke. Nate, you and I were both correct in jumping on the little flea bandwagon, seeing Argentina. Well, unless you've been living on a rock, Argentina won, folks. Uh, newsflash. Um, but they took <laughs> the trophy back from defending champions France in penalties. It was a thriller. And some are saying that it was the best World Cup final in the history of the competition. However, I did receive a text message from my father during, during the, uh, the penalties, basically saying, we got to slow the hype t- train down because the, the best final, in fact, was the, the German, Germans taking a one nothing win over the Argentines in 1990 in Italy. And I was like, okay, dad, well, um, let's just call it 1A, 1B pops. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but I think it, that this final had it all Nate, but yeah. let's go ahead and, and, and hear what your thoughts were on the match. Yeah. I mean, I think your dad's in, in a school of thought that is probably a little bit more analytical of, around a soccer match that like 
most people would not say a one nothing <laughs> yeah, victory yeah. was the greatest game of soccer they've ever seen. But especially one that was the one was a penalty. <laughs> yeah, so right. There wasn't even a goal in open play, but but it was end to end action the whole game. It's a guy that it's a guy that loves his defensive soccer. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll save you on that. Rare, like it's really rare. I don't know if I've seen it that often that a match lines up to the media narrative, right? Like how many times have you seen something along the lines, especially in the World Cup when there are so many stars, but you see something along the lines of like, oh, it's Messi versus Mbappe. And like, it just doesn't deliver. It's like Ronaldo doesn't show up or whatever, right? So it's like, "Ah, that was good, I guess. Um, But man, this one did. Like this game literally was Lionel Messi taking the reins and Kylian Mbappe pulling his team back into it. And it's just these two guys. What could they do to keep their to keep their team on the board and to keep them ahead? It was crazy, man. It was it was it was glorious to see. I mean, this is Messi in his in his prime. When you think about when you think about a guy that's the total package, a guy that's got the the vision, the passing that was on display in, throughout this whole tournament, but but in this game, and then just the ability to finish, uh, phenomenal, yeah. and then. Mbappe like proving himself as like the next gigantic global soccer star, like the, the goals that that kid was scoring, like nobody else in the tournament would have been able to do that. So just a phenomenal game. I'm also surprised that Argentina (laughs) almost collapsed again, just like against the Dutch. Like I was like, this game's over like two, nothing going into the what set last 70 minutes, seven in the 70th minute. We're just like, this is it. This is great. Great game for Argentina. Argentina, happy for Messi. Wonderful World Cup final. I was about ready to just like be done with it. And then, geez, just another 50 minutes of soccer in front of me at least. Well, I think you're right. I think the number one thing for me, I'll go to the narrative piece in a second, but the game itself, like you're right. I was wondering why – while Argentina was in such a different gear for the first 30 minutes of that game. And then they just kind of throttled back. And I was like, why are you not going for the third goal when you have the juice to do it? Cause you're going to run out of steam because France is rope a dope in you. They're going to, they're, they're, they're like, we have the ability to score two, three goals in a half and we're going to just let you burn out. And then we're going to just come at you, which is what happened. Um, But I was like, come on guys. Like, you you have it you have it there like, just go take it and I think that they they got a little bit worried you know like if we step on the gas too early then Argentina's going to come and counter us and we can't stop that because our guys are tired so we're just going to bunker down and then they bunkered down they're like oh shit we need to like start playing again and then the game opened up and it was like super fun to, to watch but I think from a narrative perspective I, I think you're right um, you know it, it's it, it's like the, into like college football or college basketball or even even the nfl and they're like you get to the final game and you're like it's 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 so-and-so versus so-and-so and And then one of those so-and-sos ends up being a complete bozo and like it's like (laughs) one-sided and you're like well that sucked Mm -hmm. um you're like i i wasted three hours of my life on that but even to the casual like this one was good i think that one thing for me that i i took away from uh, i mean I, i i know i mean we all know what messi can do um, but what one thing I took away that I think is important for, for people to note is that you don't have to play soccer like a headless chicken. Um, and Messi is like the complete example <laughs> of that. Like he, he'll, he'll track back and play defense when he, when it's absolutely necessary and it's advantageous for him to do that. 
he won't go trotting all over the field and running around um, and, and, and exposing uh, or expelling his energy just to try to get the ball. He will, he will just walk into a space and drift into an area. And then as soon as the play develops, it's like a lightning bolt hits him and he, he, and then his energy gets, gets used. Yep. And it's always with the, the, the most supreme right intent, whether it's his passing, it's his movement, it's, it's his ability to get a shot off quick. I mean, look what he did against Croatia where when, when they scored that last goal that he set up, he just kind of walked into an area in between the center back and the, and the, and the left back. And he, he got the ball and, and kind of was in a bad spot and just kind of like picked his head up, protected the ball. Then all of a sudden realized that the defender had leaned one way and then just hit the gas, turned the corner, hits the end line, plays the ball back, boom, goal. And yep. you're like, wow. Like, could he have been able to do that if it was the 85th minute and he'd been running around like a, like an asshole all day? No, he, he wouldn't have the energy. <laughs> so it just shows that like the athletic side of the game, need, you need to have it, but you really need to be able to read the game to be at that supreme level that he's at. And then with Mbappe, like I still think Mbappe is a total asshole, but I have respect for his game. I don't know him. I, I this is a broad stroke. <laughs> theory here but he just seems like a spoiled little asshole but a very talented supreme spoiled little asshole i think he's just in that situation of players where it's just like i'm I'm starting to be the old man who's like stop kids these days yeah kids these days showboating yeah yeah (laughs) just just skit scatting all over the field um but no like from from like what I read and, and what I, what I see in his game, it's like, he, he, he does have a good head on his shoulders. He just doesn't carry himself like a guy like Messi. Like, do you see Messi complaining to a referee whenever he's fouled? Like, no, even if he's old enough though. Yeah. But even if he was younger, he just picked the, he's picked himself up and started the play right away. It was like, you know, I don't have any time to complain. I was just, let's go get a goal. Um, but like Mbappe, I just hope he doesn't continue down the wrong path where it, it moves into like the Ronaldo territory. Like Ronaldo is yeah, still a child. That spoiled never, little assholes. Yeah. Like Ronaldo was a child that was that like, was so talented and never grew out of child status. Like he's an adult child now and, and it shows in, in what he's doing. And I just hope that like, you know, like I, I have respect for Ronaldo's game, even though I don't respect him as a person. Um, same with, with Mbappe. I just hope it like it, 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 you know, like he just learns from the guy he plays club with. Like, that's mm-hmm. how you do it. Like, do that. Um, but anyways, let's talk about um, the other things that happened throughout the tournament, Nate. What were your kind of top three things throughout the tournament? Man, I mean, in a World Cup, like, I mean, l- the lead up to this was just like, how could they even do this? How could you have one in Qatar and all this stuff? And yeah. it's just like, you know, it was just very strange and weird. And you were always kind of raising an eyebrow, like, why did that get called or you know, things like that. But I think Qatari bucks, man, <laughs> the, one of the things, one of the things that struck me was like all the extra time, the decision all of a sudden to decide to like, be very, very literal with the extra time is something that we've never seen before in the game. So in that first week, when you're like, there's seven added minutes at the end of the first half, why? Um, I thought that was crazy. And, and that was something that played out, yeah. You know, throughout the throughout the game, like that's that's 15 to 20 minutes, depending on which game you're watching of extra soccer that these players had to 
had to account for. And, and occasionally it was, it was impactful. Right. Can, can I, can I just say that I I'm on the other side of the fence, maybe on this one where I liked it. Oh, I'm, I, I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying like, it was very striking to me that like, Holy shit, they're doing this. Cause this is what, what every, every, <laughs> what's that? It, it told it it told the players to stop fucking around. Like yeah. it, it, if you're out of gas because there's 14 minutes added on, then maybe don't kick the ball in the stands or fire it at the at the opposing team's <laughs> bench. Um, don't don't lay on the ground and roll around for you know for 10 15 seconds and 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 complain about an injury and then get up and, and jog away like nothing happened. Like yeah. we're I'm gonna punish you for that later and you're gonna be tired. And the other guy who was standing around watching you be an asshole is going to have energy. So, yeah. like, let's get back to the way it used to be where, like, you just play the game and you stop being a jerk. I liked it. I, I, I liked it. But it was, yeah. it was striking where you're like, 14 minutes? Did, did, Chris, <laughs> did Christian Erickson have another episode on the field? Like, oh, <laughs> a cardiac episode? Like, what, what the heck happened here? Yeah. Uh, the other thing that, that I feel like uh, crafted the World Cup narrative for me was Morocco's deep spoiler run like how exciting was that to see that team not only i mean defensively they were so strong but then when it was time to score they could do it and that was and that was great their games were phenomenal to watch and really exciting the way that they knocked out spain knocked out Mm -hmm. portugal like you never would have called that uh you know early on and i i also loved just the role of the spoiler in this world cup in general like japan almost made a a a similar yeah if it weren't for that game against croatia like japan almost beat croatia and how phenomenal would that would that have been too so just Mm -hmm. to see some of these i guess more fringe teams getting their time on the international stage was really exciting to me even though i have really no skin in the game for any moroccan player or japanese player to be honest with you but that was what i love that was fun what i loved is that do you know what what the turning point was for morocco to 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 move into what they were during the tournament it was the three nothing loss they took to the U.S. in the in the in the run up to the World Cup. Yeah, they didn't fired, they fire their coach? And they fired their coach, and they brought in the one that the players actually had talked to the federation about bringing in midway through the qualifying campaign. Because the old coach like, wasn't playing like Zayic and like some of their like one of yeah. the two big name players on that team, and he was like the old. Well, coach even Hakimi was not a wasn't fan. getting time either, and it's like, right. what's happening here? These two guys are fantastic, but yeah, it took the it took old Gre- Greggy B. And his uh, his squad of youngsters to to thump them in a in a in a friendly of all of all games. And the butterfly like, effect. Yeah, yeah. So good job, guys. Starring Josh Hartnett. And then the third one for me, John, was the death of Grant Wall. And I know he's mm-hmm. he's on your list too. It was just you know the the tournament had a different feel after that, but also just the fact that he was he was there. He was very outspoken he was being very open with the world about how the officials were treating fans and players around certain and workers and workers around issues um of like of equality and and of course you know (laughs) just like mistreatment on the job and things like that so i thought that was that was impactful as it was and then to and then to you know die so suddenly in the booth during you know it was just yeah wild and yeah. we've never seen anything like that yeah i mean for me i i put this one number one on my list because i i mean i was i was reading about it as like the it was the story was coming out as it was happening I, basically like the npr guy was like yo grant wall just collapsed 
in the next yeah. booth and everyone's over there. Hope, hope he's going to be okay. Yeah. That, that's kind of where I saw the first story on it. And I like, quickly told my wife, I was like, I'm like, you know, that, that journalist that I was telling you about um, who was like detained because of, you know, speaking out on like uh, on LGBTQ um, like uh, rights by, by supporting the, uh, a t-shirt that it was essentially supporting his brother who's, who's gay. And she's like, yeah, I remember that guy. I'm like, he just, just, I think might've died in the, during a game in the press box. And she's like, Oh, that guy was murdered. I mean, you totally, that was the first thought, right? Is like, he was straight up poisoned. Yeah. Well, that's still, I mean, (laughs) still could be true, Nate. Um, But I think that the reason why it was impactful for me was like, you know, it's unfortunate to say this, but like the aftermath and like, did you happen to see um, uh, Hercules Gomez, like his, his comments Mm -mm. uh, during like the, his, his daily world cup show. He was like, I mean, he said all the things that we know about Grant Wall, like supremely good human being. Like we owe him a lot because he helped elevate the game in the United States and globally. Um, But he was like, he's like, I took that man for granted. He's like, on my, on my wedding day, he was the first person to contact me and congratulate and like congratulate me. And on he he was the first person to send me a message when I um, when I, I moved into broadcasting he was the first person to reach out and 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 tell me you know i'm doing a good job but you know here's some here's some pointers that i I wish someone would have told me and he's like i i i never reciprocated the favor i always just treated him like a casual friend but i should have been equally as good of a person to him as he was to me and then you hear other people saying like the same thing like this guy was just a giver and he and he and he gave it under the umbrella of of the game you know and I, i thought that was really interesting because there's a lot of times where like I, I, I did, you know, I did follow his, his work and I liked some of it. And some of it, I was like, yeah, you know, it's just, I know why he's doing it, but it's not for me. Um, and I kind of took it for granted a little bit. And then now I'm like, I found myself going back and, and reading more of his articles that I, I didn't give a, a first chance to. And I was just like, man, like this is this guy, this guy, like should be like really, really put on a, on a, on the pedestal he deserved. Um, and to go out like that, you know, some, some people were saying like, he went out, you know, the way he would have wanted, you know, at a soccer game, like, that's just a bunch of bullshit. That's a weird and thing no, to say. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, no one wants to die in a press box in Qatar. Oh. Come on. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, like, I, I, I think that he can be this unfortunate event really can be a stepping stone for a lot of folks to, to not only look at themselves as how they treat others, um, but also like from a journalistic perspective, like to be, a, to be as fearless as he was to go into the global game as an American and move himself up the ladder to be a category leading journalist in the game that his country kind of sees as like third fiddle. Yeah. Um, I, I, and, and when, what he did to help try to raise the profile of soccer in the States too. I mean, I, I, yeah, I thought it was pretty sad. Um, my second one is I, I you know, bring it I bring it back domestically. I think the the, the the Americans showed the what they needed to do that they um, they erased the the cruddiness that was twenty the twenty eighteen World Cup and not qualifying mm-hmm. and and got there and performed there and gave us enough excitement to you know enough excitement that we would want to have in in the group stage and getting out of the group. Um, that we would expect from from our our country at, at the World Cup, um, but what I think it really did was it, it set us up 
um, if you're talking about like all the the reboot generations that you know whether it's the Italians, the Belgians, the Spanish, um, the Germans to to some some degree, the Netherlands, those countries all went through a reboot process, and I think that we're now at that second stage of the reboot where we're only like the the players have been identified right now that we can go into another world cup with the same group, you know, add, add a few players that were on the fringes, maybe that didn't make it, but that were identified mm-hmm. Add a few players that haven't been identified that are, that are, are coming into the next cycle, but we really need that next coach to take us there. And if I'm the United States soccer federation, I am parking a Brinks truck full of money outside of Luis, Luis Enrique's home <laughs> and being like, um, I know you just got fired by Spain. And I know you talked about wanting to get back into club coaching, but hear us out. Yeah. Um, you know, here we have the resources. We have the we have the established player base. They're young. They they have they're young and now with experience. Like the, we have all the puzzle pieces of of a, a very high quality, high profile next level coach to look at us and go, that's actually not Think a bad job it. over. That's not a bad job over there. And that that price tag isn't bad either. So look, well, and the players, man, like you like you mentioned, the players we're in good shape from a roster standpoint. I mean, I think going into the world cup, one of the biggest things I worried about was like, Oh my God, our back line is a 35 year old um, guy on the end of his premier league career. Redemption tour, baby. It's it's an MLS (laughs) starter. Who's fine. And it's a, you know, and it's the guy that plays in the Scottish premier league, like not high, not high profile players. But when you think about, I mean, the World Cup is like the great equalizer. When you think about some of the players that were able to elevate their game from across the world and step up, like the left back from Morocco plays in the Moroccan league, right? And he just blew up. So like, you know, the Croatian goalkeeper, whatever his name, uh, you know, that plays for for Dinamo Zagreb. Like these are not players that play in, in you know the top the league, league. in the top leagues in Europe, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. But they're still able to show up at, at at the international stage, and it was it was nice to see that like oh our players can do that too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just a no, matter of you know now now I think I agree with you that the next step is the coaching because the players are in good shape. Yeah, I mean I hope the federation. I mean like if 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 I read a story tomorrow that comes out and says they gave Greg Berhalter four more years, I'm not going to be supremely disappointed because. I feel like Greg did the best he probably could have um, outside of some man management issues that we yeah, that, was weird, that, that came that out stuff, yeah. um, and some of the, like the, this, the selection pieces, but I think he, he did what he could and he learned what he could and I'd be okay with it. I wouldn't be like excited about it, but I'd be okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really got to look at that next level coach and it's no disrespect to Greg Berhalter. I think he did what he could. And I think he set himself up for whatever job he, he wants to take next. Um, whether it's going back into uh, the MLS or potentially, you know, getting a crack at coaching abroad. I think he, I think he did all right. Yeah. Um, my third one was the refereeing Nate. Um, I hate to be that guy who's, who, uh, who shits on referees, but Oh my God, dude. Um, <laughs> inconsistent. Like, inconsistency. Um, uh, inability to understand that the game's not about them. It's about the players and the ball um so many times i think referees in this tournament were making it about like their performance and 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 being caught up in the theatrics of it all instead of just doing their job um outside of the the referee crew that did did the final i thought that was probably the best refereeing um that we've had probably in the last 16 years 
wow. from a World Cup perspective. I think that guy, he got everything right. Only had to go to VAR one time, and that was on one goal that was razor edge. It was that. It was the uh, the the first was it the first goal Argentine goal where mm-hmm. the, where uh, Varon's uh, junk in the trunk kept the guy on side. Yeah. Um, but that was the only one, and and even then the referees made the right call on the field. So I was like, like everywhere, and even when they let the the players play and like the tackles were getting heavier, I was like. It's, it's, it's consistent. It's like, we're okay. Like for this block of 20 minutes in this game, like we're going to let some things fly because it's what the game needs. It's not like me stopping it because I objectively think that, that it's getting a little bit too rough in the sandbox. Yeah. I think, you know, like the, the roughness is needed because that's what the game's calling for. I thought it was fantastic. So I don't even know what the ref's name is, but hats off to the, He's Polish. the, the, the center official and then, uh, and the supporting crew. Um, but yeah, those are my Nate. My, one of the overall. one of the like real quickly on the ref thing, you know the the biggest example that I heard throughout the World Cup of this like philosophy or this this narrative that like you know refs can refs bring bring their own personality to the game and I think I think it was in our game the U.S. versus Netherlands and I saw him a couple other times throughout the tournament that they were that he it was some guy from Spain. And every time he'd the be out there, <laughs> every time they'd be out there, it'd be like, this is a guy that's got a reputation for, you know, for, for being hotheaded and for, for escalating the situation for making, you know, for making situations a little more, a little more fiery. And it's like, wow, that's literally the opposite of your job as a referee. Right. right. Yeah. No one, <laughs> no one cares about you, <laughs> but all well, in all, Nate, I think the tournament went well. Um, I think it ended, it ended the right way. Um, I think that uh, I'm going to be extremely glad to never have to talk about Qatar ever again, and, yep. um, unless I need to. Um, but uh, I'm glad. I, it was it was a weird time. It was a weird place. And I don't mean that with any disrespect to to the Middle East, but it was just a weird setup in a in a in a, in a location that made it weird. And uh, I'm, I'm glad it's over. But I I'm going to miss it for the next couple weeks. <laughs> Well, John, let's uh, let's pinky swear right now. Twenty twenty six road trip. Yeah, we'll try to get to KC. Let's get to let's get to KC. Yep, no problem. The I Vegas. I think I'm allowed back. John's think, mid Midwest Vegas. Yeah, I think I'm allowed back. I, I don't know. If, I think my statute of limitations has run its course. <laughs> well, there was more happiness to be had this week, and it started with the when the MLS published, uh, I guess, a very speculative mock draft article that had two crows predicted to go in the first round and that was really exciting to see it was both xavier uh zange and herbert endley they were on a list that mostly was just a list of players that people should know about going into draft night because they could be picked early but still it was like wow this is some interesting recognition for a couple players that if you don't follow the college game very closely you can still you can still uh, relate and say, God, I've, I watched those guys play this summer. Um, mm-hmm. But as we know, those weren't the only two crows that were in the mix. Uh, Rory O'Driscoll, little little did we know, or little did the MLS uh, reporter know, was also on some draft boards, although he went a little later. Um, John, before we get into our takes on draft night and how it played out, I'm super curious. I haven't talked to you about this at all, so I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. excited to hear what you have to say about this. Talk a little bit about these guys, first of all. Maybe people wouldn't know Xavier, Herbert, or Rory, but talk a little bit about them, and maybe 
Did you hear anything from them directly leading up to the draft? I know you're on text a lot with these guys, or maybe through your network of spies from from the Dayton coach who you've got a good relationship with. Like, had you heard some rumblings that some crows could go in the in the draft? Um, I had not spoken to either either uh, any of the three, um, but I did. I did get a few folks that reached out to me asking me uh, about each player. Um, and, and I'm not going to say who they were, but it was, it's people connected to the league mm-hmm. um, that, uh, that I have either a relationship or I'm, it's kind of the, 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 the six degrees of separation, um, you know, got my information and, and, and reached out to me um, to ask about the players. And, and, and some of it was like, character base like tell us about this guy and his time with you and then some of it was like what what's your take on like them elevating up and and i i behind closed doors um i kind of really never mentioned this to anybody behind closed doors just gave an honest assessment obviously promoted our guys because i i do believe that all three of them are supreme talents and Mm -hmm. and have their own strengths um and uh and and they all have you know they're all high character guys so i had nothing bad to say but i did it i did it you know without fanfare i i i mentioned you know what i thought thank thank them for you know for 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 thinking of us uh and and wanting our opinion um offered up if they wanted to talk to anyone else on the on uh, within the club um but left it at that and yeah. from what i was hearing out of that was that um i'm gonna go bottom up um from a from rory's perspective rory had the 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 junior season that you you want you write like uh hallmark stories about <laughs> huge um, semifinal he, game huge huge junior year yeah. going into the summer uh picked up an injury um wasn't able to feature with us the summer um uh, because of the injury kind of kept it safe going into his final year ended up getting injured uh but was able to to do enough going into uh the the end of the season and and still like i mean multiple times only playing maybe 50 minutes of a game but being like the the player of the game and the offensive player of the week in the conference so like still showing that he can do it um but it was a little bit less like you know on uh from a a hype perspective on him but the 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 proof was in the pudding that he has the talent Mm -hmm. um for for herbert i would say he was the number one on the list of people who had the highest profile because of what he did in the college cup last year and then what he was doing in the college cup this year. So it wasn't like, there was no surprise with Herbert. It was more of like, we watched some of the games this summer, not a lot translate from what we saw at Indiana to, to Minneapolis city. What were your thoughts there? Anything we should note? Um, And, and, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on him as a person? And for, for, for Herbert, it was more of another guy who maybe put it down into into second gear trying not to to interrupt um a a final senior season which i totally get um but no doubt the the immense talent and what he can do um in in the right environment and um then with with xavier it was more of xavier utilized his platform um a lot like we saw out of um out of luke a little bit more where it's like going from junior to senior year, like getting attention, utilizing a good summer uh, in a safe environment and, and then going into senior year and really turning it on. I thought he probably out of all of the crows, maybe Eli Goldman aside had the best start to finish of his, of his, of, of his college season. And I watched maybe 
a handful of his games. Uh, I'd say six, seven of Xavier's games, and every single game he did more than a handful of things that made him stand out as the best player on the field or one of the best players on the field and in a, in a very good conference. Um, so I thought that like his hype train, like got even, even more as, as, as it went on. And I was pre- pleasantly surprised when I started seeing the, the, you know, the mock draft stuff where it's like, Holy cow, like, all right. Like I, I could see it. Like I I've seen him play. Mm-hmm. He absolutely could do it. Now, where, where would he fit in and, and what does he have to, and I'm thinking to myself, like, what would he need to work on in order to, to be an MLS regular? Um, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, like he already does this well and that well. I'm like, you know, maybe there's not a lot. Um, so given the right environment, I think, you know, he could really, really be a solid MLS player. Um, and not like the other guys couldn't be, but I, I was like, I was pleasantly surprised. The more you thought about I, it. The more I thought about it with, with Xavier. So, mm-hmm. um, like I said, I, I, I I, I did nothing to help these guys get drafted. <laughs> I'm not trying to say that. No, just but, interesting um, to hear, you know, what, yeah. you know, how, how Minneapolis City kind of fits, the organization fits into some of these considerations as clubs come a calling or or whatever, scouts call up, that sort of well, thing. It's always weird, like, when I get, like, a random number from Ohio pop up on my phone and I, like, let it go to voicemail and it's like, hi, this is so-and-so. And then they're like, uh, you know, can you give us a call back when I talk about some of your players? And I'm thinking, like, which young guys they're looking at, you know? Mm-hmm. And then they're like, well, tell us about, you know, you know, th- this player and that player. And, you know, we're, we're getting our draft prep ready and, you know, what are your thoughts? And it's like, Oh, Ooh. okay, cool. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's where that went. That's the, uh, the, M- the hype, the MLS draft hype is nothing like in the NFL or the NBA and and because of that, the reporting oh, really? the reporting is pretty niche, right? You're not going to get you you don't have a ton of a ton of reporters who spend a lot of time analyzing the the college game of of so many so many players across the country. But I will say that the author of the article, I think because of that, the author of the article kind of based his picks on basically nothing but player skill and team need, right? Mm-hmm. And but still, it was interesting that they identified Minnesota United as a potential home for Xavier Zenge. And, and my thought, my thought about this is like, no way, no way are they ever going to pick a player developed here in Minnesota out, outside of their system. But it was an interesting thought. Um, I don't know about you, John. My, I, I think that United would never pick a player that, that was developed by a competing youth program, much less one like Minneapolis city who has um, had kind of a complicated relationship with them. Like they've passed three times on locally developed talent in their history. When you talk about um, when you talk about the super draft, two out of three of those choices were obviously wrong and immediately proven to be so uh, mm-hmm. starting with Abu Dunladi instead of Jackson Yule. And, uh, you know, they had, a, they had the number one overall pick. They had, they could have started building the spine with a solid local guy that would have brought people that would have, that would have filled the seats. Right. And gotten people really excited for the club. Like not only did Minnesota United, make a splash onto the, onto the soccer scene locally, but we've got a homegrown guy to help us with it. And that didn't mm-hmm. work out. Um, Jackson, Ewell ends up getting min- minutes with the, you know, men's national team. He's the captain for San Jose and uh, uh, Dunlady just got cut from United for the second time. Mason toy. They pick him the pick before the revolution pick Brandon by. And I think that's how that pretty, work. Pretty obvious how that worked <laughs> out. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, and they pick most people on the board instead of Luke Hawkinson, which you can't really, well, Luke went in the third round. He went almost, you know, 
is kind of one of the last almost picks. the same pick, almost the same pick that Rory went as Rory. Yep. He's at the front office of United Views picking a city kid or an MTA kid or whoever as as an admission or at least an implication that their system isn't developing players at the level that they should be, right? And I think it's 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 kind of protective of them to say like, well, we didn't pick this guy local, this guy from around here because we hadn't identified him as a top talent. Other clubs might. You know, there's plausible deniability there. Like other clubs might have identified him as a top talent, but we never did, and we still don't. Uh, yeah, don't that's a tough. It's one. it's just so strange to me that like so many so many other clubs are seeing the talent, and United just continues to look past it. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what the the thought process is across town, but if it were me, I would care less about where the player came from and the benefits of what the player can do for, for the organization and what they can do for the organ on the field Mm -hmm. and what they can do for the organization off the field. So um, if you came to me and said in our Minneapolis city world that there's a player from now NPSL joy of the people who um, is, is on a fast track and we, they feel that, joining up with Minneapolis city is um, a potential better way to get them into uh, a pro, a pro setting. Um, would I look at that player and go, no, they played for joy of the people. Uh, I don't, I don't. I, they joy the people developed them. Um, no way. Not yeah. interested. No way. No way. Yeah. What? I don't want anything to do with that. Um, mm-hmm. Or Duluth or insert any right. team that we play against or we used to play against or we align with or don't <laughs> align with. I don't I mean, the Olivers came up with the twin stars. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, so did the Browns. <laughs> yep. So, you know, who else add, add any of the players that we brought in uh, that played with different organizations, VSLT, like, even though we had a good relationship with those guys, like, and they folded and we, we absorbed some of their talent. It doesn't matter. Um, we look at, we look at players that can help us and how we can help them. And that's how I would run an organization. We're talking about the folks across town, like, I think that maybe this is the sign that says, let's stop. (laughs) Let's stop thinking the way we're thinking and figure out a way to connect better. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it's, it's the fact that we know that there were people coming to our games this summer with an eye on the week um, or an eye on looking at any of the, uh, you know, Xavier or Herbert or whoever it might be, any players that we, we haven't seen yet, maybe it's time that we think about how best to work together than work independently. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, what's our mission, Nate? It's to elevate soccer in Minnesota and, and elevate players from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. let's let's try to all get in line. And if we don't, we can still continue to do what we're doing. And, uh, and, and we're going to do our thing. And everyone else is going to do their thing. And uh, we'll go our separate ways until our paths cross again. And that's fine, but um, I think that we can we can all do better, um, us included, and and it's good for everybody. It really is good for everybody. Um, but then it is worth noting that, from a Minnesota United perspective, um, two there um, two picks. Uh, one of them was local, uh, and in being their own product, uh, MUFC um, two player Emmanuel Iwe, who most most of us know from his time with Join the People and at Saint Cloud. Um, and, and I, there was a lot of like, why did they take their own guy? And the, 
I I think I even tweeted this out. It was like this is makes the MLS look so bush league. It's so where it, it's so weird. I understand the rule. So the rules around it are that Emmanuel played a year of college. So what happened was is the signing of him from St. Cloud to to the MLS Next Pro team. So what I, I don't know any of the ins and outs there, but what I know is that it seems like that contract was an amateur contract where he was not given any any uh, a, a full pro contract. Mm-hmm. So at that point, it it opens up his rights because he was coming from the college ranks and he wasn't in the draft last year. So they would have probably had to do this last year. Um, so potentially keeping him on the hook until after last year's draft and then knowing that they're going to have to do it this year. I yeah. would understand that, but it's not, an, I don't want people to look at Minnesota United with a crooked eye. It's nothing that they did weird. Um, I'll, I'll get to the weirdness in a second. It's not that they did weird with Emmanuel. They did what they had to do because the league is stupid. Yeah. Um, they, they needed to swoop in and re, basically reclaim him because mm-hmm. any team could have, could have drafted him. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's why their first pick is the interesting one for me. Uh, especially when you looked at the pre-draft boards and people were saying that uh, defender and Xavier Zenge with all the low hanging fruit from the area, all that stuff we just talked about was, a, was potentially a, a good fit there. They went with a player out of union Omaha who is in the USL two, and they don't even have the ability to gain his rights without sorting that out with union Omaha. USL one. Yeah. In USL one. Yeah. So um the weird weirdness there too is that this guy is actually tied to lafc so Hmm. they picked a guy that there is a high likelihood that unless they sort things out with lafc or sorry uh um uh, la galaxy and union omaha they might never see this guy uh in their books ever (laughs) well Um, i mean they got a good look at him when omaha beat united in the open cup right yeah, yeah. And he's a good player. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, and Union Omaha is a really great organization. Um, and, but that one was a weird one for me when there were equal like for like picks, take Xavier out of the equation, but other defenders that had open rights that were like total draft eligible that were on the board. So that one was a little bit weird to That's me. Um, and then also, you know, looking at the, the Twitter space and seeing Jeff Reuter mention that every single season Minnesota United has not has given away their or traded away their third round pick. So if you're thinking about the development piece of it and how, and all the things we talked about with their development system and player identification, leaving on the table, a, a, a potential flyer on a player that can be put in and then move up um, to me seems like a whiff that you're yeah. not looking at. You're looking at, uh, and, and I, I mentioned it too, that like the MLS with, with the, with the E-Way pick, the MLS is forcing you into reclaiming a guy that you should own in the first place and leaving an opportunity off the table for another talented player to be given a flyer. Um, it, so it, it's, it was it, just weirdness uh, across the board for that. But I think that leaving the third pick on the table to me is something that they really need to take a look at. If I were in some of those seats to, yeah, you might not feel that there's a player that could help your organization right now, but isn't the point of like the third round. um, And you look at someone like Rory, the third round pick is like the guy that you maybe send to MLS to, um, to, to cut their teeth and maybe, you know, develop into a a first team regular or, or a trade asset piece instead of just saying, we don't want, we don't want to deal with it. So, um, Yeah. Anyways, 
Well, back to our guys, because I think this is the this is the part that makes us happy, John. It is a happy holiday show that uh, after all that, Herbert Endley is the is the first city player that is picked. Dallas takes him at number 24. But Xavier didn't have to wait long to join his teammate in the pro ranks. Columbus. This is then this is the thing. This is why he knows there's probably a good shot at Xavier making the making the roster and having some getting some minutes or at least mm-hmm. getting a long look at, at developing him because Columbus traded some cash to Houston and moved back into round one to snag him. So Columbus mm-hmm. really seems to have wanted Xavier Zenge bad. And I bet they got a lot of looks at him uh, and mm-hmm. when he played for Dayton. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then Rory, who flew under the radar for, for, with a lot of teams, was nabbed up by our old friends, Nashville. So let's start with Andaly John. Um, Matt Doyle on the draft show, who, and I really like Matt Doyle a lot, he was mm-hmm. pointing to Endley specifically and speculating that Dallas would look to convert him to maybe a right back. Um, Dallas has a pretty good reputation uh, with developing talent. He pointed to Reggie Cannon, and I can't remember who the, the, the last guy was. Yeah, he's got a really and and just in general, Dallas yeah. Dallas develops the shit out of talent. I mean, it's Kellen Acosta, you got Jesus Ferreira, you've got all these guys that that came up in their youth system. I think Walker Zimmerman did too. Yep. Is this a place Weston that? McKinney. Yep, Weston McKinney. Is Dallas a place that Herbert can succeed? It feels like not not just in Dallas, but in Dallas potentially at that right back position. Um, to answer your question, it's a place where Herbert can succeed. Yes. Um transitioning Herbert into a defender, I think is not a good idea. A mistake. Um, not a mistake, just not a good idea. Um, and I, I don't want to call it a mistake because um, I don't, I, I, I believe it's not a good idea. Well, let me try to figure out how to phrase this. It's not a mistake to do that because I think that with his talent, he could potentially be able to, 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 to make the transition. Look at like an attacker like Brandon Bai, who mm-hmm. moved to be a solid day-in, day starter for for um, uh, at, at right back. But with Herbert, Herbert's more of a of that player who needs to be in the in the offensive third and and will give you more and give the people around him more um, with the ball at his foot within 35 yards of the goal. Um, now you're asking a player who made their made their uh, cut their teeth on the offensive third to move to a place where you have to start to think about track tracking like a defender versus how you want to beat a guy like an attacker. Right. You you may there might be a recipe for failure um, before it even starts because you're asking someone to do a complete mind shift and a lot of and there's some players that just can't do that. I'm not saying that Herbert can't do that, but do you think that if uh, if there wasn't the opportunity for him to potentially do that, to push a program like Indiana over the hump to win the national title, that they wouldn't have already tried to explore that with him. They needed him in the offensive third doing what he does best. Sure. Think that, and I think that um, we're, we're, we're looking at a, a, a pundit's opinion versus a, a program that kicks out quality players like Dallas. They didn't, they didn't draft him to be a right back. Did they draft him to be a, a wide right-sided player? Probably. Um, but there was also talk of him being like a, a, a six or an eight. I think, again, that's another spot where you're mm. taking away – you're cutting off his, his, uh, his strengths to try to match 
something that I don't think is going to match. So yeah. if, if you're listening to me, uh, <laughs> Dallas, put him in the <laughs> offensive third. <laughs> Columbus, John, moving back into the first round to pick Xavier has to be a good sign for him, like I said. Uh, he definitely impressed me uh, and my my small squirrel brain on the USL2 squad last summer as – you know, uh, a, a Doomfreeze-esque wing back who found himself in the box quite a bit, but was still really, really down to track back and defend. For Dayton, it looks like he played more of a central defender role. I was watching yeah, his, yeah. I was watching his highlight reel, and it's just like all of a sudden, here comes this center back sprinting down the field with the ball, making a making <laughs> yeah, a, key, like... making a key pass or taking a long or you know taking a long shot and and scoring or threatening. That was pretty awesome. He's very versatile. What do you think the plan is with with Xavier at Columbus? I think this one's a no brainer. He's an outside wing back, um, and he's he's more along the lines of like Buchanan for for um, uh, for uh, New England, but, and, and before he 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 moved on from New England, mm-hmm. um, and then what he does uh, with the Canadian national team, mm-hmm. he is your out and out box to box attacking and defending outside wing back and only moves in to the center of the field as necessity dictates based off of potentially a three back or like someone goes down and you're out of subs. Mm. You're like Xavier can play center back. Let's move. Let's, let's put in an attacker and Xavier can play center back. Nice. I don't, I, I think he, he, that he's going to be, he's going to look, it's going to look very similar to Brandon by like, yeah. I think they, they, they're cut from the same cloth with the work rate and the way that they can occupy the the space offensively and defensively on, on the outside of the field. So I think that one's a pretty easy one for me. He's going to oh, be yeah. a wing back. Nice. Nashville, John straight loaded up on yeah, picks did. and they selected Rory in the third round. Like you said, about the same time, they same place that they picked Luke Hawkinson. He was uh Rory was their fifth of six draft picks. So I'm going to mm-hmm. say similar to Luke, Rory will probably get sent down to the farm where he's going to have some work to do to break into this team. But hopefully just like Luke, it works out for him. And and Luke, Luke had, you know, when we talked to him during the pandemic, you know, he was down there, I think in Charlotte, mm-hmm. Charleston. I can't remember some, one of those C Southern, one of those C word Southern cities where he was yep. trying to figure out like, how do I play in the middle of the pandemic? Like, how am I getting minutes? What do I have to do? How do I, how do I get into this? How do I, um, you know, acclimate to this club. Rory's not going to have those challenges. Hopefully he'll be able to succeed. Yeah. I think you're, you're spot on here. I think what, what moves Rory into the, the farm system versus the first team is the injury history. Um, and he's had some health concerns. Um, I don't think the, obviously Nashville didn't shy away from that, which is awesome. Um, they looked at what his, his, uh, his, his piece of work that he did uh, when he was on the field. Um, even in limited um, limited cases, like I mentioned, you know, when when he's when he's playing 50 minutes and being the offensive player of the week in his conference, like three weeks in a row, <laughs> he's doing something right. Yeah. Um, but I do think that um, given where he plays and looking at the roster in Nashville, um, I look at him needing to be moved where he can play, um, where he can get his body right, where he can he can perform. And and then move himself up in, and that's not anything that uh, a player should be looking at um, with with a with a turned down nose, right? Like I I see that as a really good opportunity 
for for him to to do what he loves best at and 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 be and be doing it at the professional level. So if it's if it's having to go down to the twos for for a year or two, um, and and get the occasional call up before, um, you know, either getting traded to an opportunity full time MLS um, roster uh, rostered player or a starter, I think it's great. Uh, mm-hmm. At the end of the day. For all of these guys, if they all get sent down, um, they're all playing professional soccer, and that's what their goal was. So uh, it might be a crooked path for some. It might be a straight path for others. Um, but all three of these guys, I think, have what it takes, both mentally, physically, with their game, uh, between the ears, um, that they, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 so, the psychosocial part of things, the, the, the psychology part of things. I think they all have it. It's just a matter of, now they're they've they've reached the next point, which was what they've all wanted to do since they were little kids, and then be, be a pro soccer player. Now go take it, take whatever opportunity the club that selected you gives you, and make the most of it. Yeah, all in all, phenomenal, a phenomenal night for these kids. What is the feeling among Minneapolis City bigwigs like yourself, John, and the rest of the front office? <laughs> like obvious evidence is this obvious evidence that everything is working? Like wow, three guys plus the week, four guys in one year going pro. It one hundred percent is. It even is more, is it even more ammo for the recruiting trail? Like it, it is. It, it's all the things you just said. It number one, it's it took us seven years to get here with with little bites off of the apple in the in the recent years. You know, it started with Brandon. It's it, it went to guys like Steve going over to Europe, Luke getting it, getting getting his chance, getting drafted. Um, a, a couple other guys moving on to to other opportunities. Um, we started to see it, and then the futures come into play, and mm-hmm. now we're seeing how the futures are feeding even a direct path into the first team and into pro. And and now there's no doubt, even for the people who don't like us, there is no doubt that we aren't doing it the right way, at least in the sample size that we have. And and if and even if you said. Um, we only got one player drafted this year instead of like, like the craziness that was three. Um, we're, we're, we're doing what we said we were going to do. And we're, 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 we're elevating the, the game in the state and we're elevating the players to a platform where they can get looks at. There's no denying that now. And it's not being conceded, but it's like, this is what we've all worked thousands of volunteer hours to, to, to do it. And look, it's right here. We, mm-hmm. we've, we, we, we've shown it, we've done it. So join us if you want if you want the same thing join us and i can say without without dropping any names there's <laughs> there's a lot of text messages from players and a lot of player interest form submissions filled out in the last 48 hours uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. yeah and that's even before we're going to move into making an announcement in the not too distant future of who's going to be the new leader of the first team um, so like it's, it's mo- positive momentum, Nate. And, yeah. and if my hangover from, from yesterday is any indication, it's a celebration that we all should have, whether you're a former teammate, current teammate, staff member, fan, parent, guardian, whatever casual supporter of what we do celebrate this holiday season that one of your own times three times four, if you had the week is moving on out of our nest because of the little piece that we were able to, to have with them. And I think that's something we all got to celebrate. And so three city players head off to the pros, I guess four counting the week. 
we are casting our net to, to develop the new the new crop the new the new clutch of of crows futures trials begin the first week of january and as we have talked about on this show before without the npsl team in the mix the futures is more than ever a program that has gained increased importance within the city pipeline you touched on it a second ago but why is that well, I mean, we touched on it a few weeks or a month ago, two mm-hmm. months ago when we were like, or no, more than that, three months ago when we were doing the recap. It's like, holy shit, we didn't realize that this is actually the the, the loss of, of moving out of the NPSL is actually even more of a gain for the futures program. Um, and I, I think that we are in a situation where the importance now is continuing to to look at the players who are, or are being um, either misidentified from a talent perspective by others, which is okay. That happens in all sports or the player who hasn't even having the opportunity to be identified. And, but, but looking at that and giving them the platform, but also adding another layer to it. And, and potentially when we move from the winter session to the summer session with the futures, what players can we potentially fast track? Like, mm-hmm adding that layer to it, which we weren't thinking about in, in previous versions of the futures. We were thinking about giving everyone a, a, a with talent the, the opportunity to, to become part of the, the club. Now it's okay. Well, with, the, with what we've seen in the last two years, is there someone here who's performing here that we can fast track? Um, you know, could they help us in two, three years at the first team level or one year or this year? Um, I think we have to think more about that now. Yeah. The Futures program has had a number of success stories when you think about guys that have wet kids that have gone through it and are succeeding at, at some of that MIAC schools, um, continue to succeed, have played at a high level of the NPSL or the or the USL two. But none of them are as well known as Loic Masandi in, you know, club circles. This is a kid who did he, I think he made it the first time he tried out, but maybe mm-hmm. almost didn't. Uh, from, no, he did. from what he I did. saw. Yeah. Um, no, he did. <laughs> but but he had a lot of growing to do. He had a lot of growing to do because he was just a junior. Yeah. How is Loic's story the perfect illustration of the power of the Futures program? Um, I think it's the importance. Be- like I, th- I thought JJ crafted it really well um, in what he kind of threw out on, so- on the social footprints is that um, there, is- there isn't a direct pathway to your dream. Um, for some there is, I shouldn't say there isn't most times than not, there's not a straight pathway to your dream of, of playing soccer at the next level. And the next level could be, uh, playing, starting on your high school team, uh, being an all, uh, uh, an all state player, an all American player going to play at college, playing in the USL or NPSL or whatever, playing high level amateur, then playing, playing pro. I think, what what the week's story told us is that um, if the individual has the talent and the drive, it doesn't matter who recognizes them as long as the right people recognize them and allow them the opportunities to grow and support them in what they do and let and, and I recognize that their talent can be helpful for you and for them. I think that like if, if you look at some organizations, a player at 18 years old who comes through from you know a U18 setup they're not going to be put into high level amateur soccer at 18, 19 years old. 
we we didn't even think about bringing Luik to the Des Moines Menace game until 48 hours before the game when Nick Hutton went down with injury and training. And I remember the phone call we had was, who do we bring? Do we bring Luik or do we bring an established former college player? And it was split. The camp was split. Can Luik elevate in that setting to be able to be leaned on for 90, maybe 90 plus minutes? Or is or, or do we need to bring someone who doesn't have that special sauce that we know the week has, but can just do the job because we've seen it happen before. Took the flyer on the week, scores a goal, shows he can do it, ends up being our leading scorer as a club across all, all footprints, mm-hmm. and then gets moved into a, a professional setting after um, after finishing up his high school career. And now he's, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't think that there's even uh, any doubt that he is going to be successful at the next level. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. So I think that what, what it does for our program is it shows that the identification piece, it doesn't matter who identifies them as long as they're identified in the right scenario and that everyone's in it for the right reasons. Um, don't be in it if you're an organization to, to, to make money, especially at our level, to make money off of, uh, off of talent. Don't be in it <laughs> to, to raise your profile because you, you have that guy. Um, make sure you're in it for your mission, which is to make sure that your, your, your club is a platform for the player and the player is doing the best that they can within the platform and checking them against that. You know, if, if we, I, I know for a fact, if we ever saw the week start to get the success and him go outside of the humble nature that he had, the players on the team would have stepped in right away and been like, stop doing that, man. Like you got a bright future. Don't act like this. We never had that scenario because the week had that mindset. Of, I'm going to work as hard as possible because I want to be a pro. And uh, I think that it <laughs> get involved in January, friends. Cause yeah, it, it's the the spots are there. Trials are in two weeks. They start with Group One on January second. I think that group is full, right? So the Group One of Monday, January second, and then they they go back the next week, Monday, January 9th. That's full, but Group Two still has openings. And that group is one is group one. Is, yes. Group one is January 2nd. Group two is January 3rd. And yep. then the, the following Monday, Tuesday is group one, group two for the final tryout. For the for callback then, basically, right? No, they, they get two set, two oh, okay. trial sessions. Um, and then there's a final callback that puts both groups together the third week. And then after that session, the, the, the winner group is selected. Yeah. So if you're listening and you, or, um, you know, one of your kids fits the criteria and they're interested in, in signing up. Like I said, group one sold out, but take a look at January 3rd and January 10th. Group two has some limited spaces open. You can just go to MinneapolisCity.com right now, MPLSCitySC.com. You can click on futures from the menu and it's going to guide you through what you need to do. Hopefully you have a sports engine account and all that stuff. Get that all sorted out and get a chance to play your way into the pathway to pro so that's pretty amazing yeah yeah absolutely well nate that is a wrap on this week's show the last show to wrap up the calendar year of 2022 thank you for listening to this week's uh show and thank you to our wonderful show sponsor footballstadiumprints.com if you are in the market for supremely curated soccer focused graphic design on anything from mugs to t-shirts to sweet prints of city icons like edor nelson field and the old club shop, head on over to footballstadiumprints.com and fill up your cart. Don't forget, friends, use the code CROWS10. That's CROWS10 for 10% off of everything you purchase. And remember, 
all U.S. orders ship right from the States. There's no pesky international shipping charges. 2023 memberships are now available. Jump in early and get the discounted price, which ends in January. You'll not only get a voice that helps shape the club for the future, but you'll be able to vote on things um, that are on the horizon from kits to scarves. Scarves are going on right now. Kits to scarves to other important club matters. Um, and obviously get a look into all that sweet upcoming Crows merch. And, and as always, remember, Minneapolis City is a 501c3. So we're getting close to tax time again, Nate. Yeah. Uh, consider that charitable gift to the club that loves to give back. If you're interested in getting a hold of us, uh, we, as always, made it super simple. Hit up the club on Twitter at MPLSCitySC or at the show at peop- The People's Pitch or via email mcscpodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that is all for this week's show, folks. I am John. That was Nate. We turn the page on another calendar year for the murder, and we look forward to ride the wave of excitement from getting four former crows to the pros. See what I did there? Crows of the pros. Nice. Uh, for us at the show, hashtag. Wish, yeah, hashtag. For us at the show, we wish you and yours the happiest of holidays. Stay safe. Stay tuned in for early January with more goodness on your favorite member-driven community-focused soccer club. And as always, you got hooked. Please stop that. In your jingle bell. <laughs>